1: The sun is shining, Manchester United sit comfortably second in the Premier League Academy graduate, Mason Greenwood scoring twice against Burnley and Uruguayan matador Edinson Cavani joined him with one of his own late on. United are in the semi-finals of a European competition and so, after all that this week, we should be smiling, but we're not. And not for the right reasons either. Football should make you sad. That's the beauty of it. The roller coaster ride we all endure, no matter the size of our club, no matter the location of our fixtures. But football should make you sad because of the defeats, the last minute goals conceded, the penalties missed, the trophies lost. Not because of this, not because of a group of owners who don't know us, who don't understand us, don't understand what we care about and who wouldn't care anyway. So welcome to the Manchester United weekly podcast where today I am at least sad, angry and uh, ashamed of my football club and the others who have come together to uh, attempt to found a European Super League or as it should be known, the European Franchise League. So we'll be talking about that as well as a win against Burnley and an upcoming trip to Leeds, both of which all feel a bit hollow now. Jack, I was sat in bed last night reading the ever-developing news which was delayed and delayed and delayed. I was sat at Old Trafford yesterday as the rumours were sparking round and then an announcement scheduled for 9.30 moved back and back um, and then finally c- comes out and the the cheek of it all as well as the announcement itself led to, I think, loads of football fans staying up later reading and researching and and venting and just a general overwhelming feeling of sadness and so um, I thought I need to write I need to get these thoughts out and so this is a lovely opportunity to be able to rant about it and I've been looking forward to this because especially now when uh, of course pubs have opened but when you can't vent these feelings of frustration at how your football club is being taken away from you you can't vent those feelings at football games it becomes even more difficult and the truth is it's, this is the culmination of decades where billionaires have done everything they can to destroy the football that we thought we knew. We're kidding ourselves if we think this isn't simply an extension of what has come before. It's jaw-dropping, yes, it's saddening, but is it surprising? No. No. The ideals of football as an entertaining but fair sport with a level playing field right across the globe, of football clubs as the centre of their communities, extensions of their communities, that has gone the billionaire stakeholders in the game have overpowered the stakeholders who truly matter and they've done so in the name of their own greed and power-driven self-interest. They've overpowered the players, amateur and professional, but most crucially, the fans. And this is not to say that Pre Super League football is right. It's so heavily skewed already, often in favor of our club, United, but it's, it's filled by self-seeking individuals already who want only to further their own interests. Football club owners, broadcast rights, negotiators, broadcasters themselves agents, whoever you want to direct your your anger at, UEFA, FIFA, the FA, the Premier League, have been in different quantities, corrupt, ineffective, and at other times just so meek. And they've created the environment together where this is possible. They've widened the gap between the elite and the slightly less elite to make it so that the vast majority of the football pyramid has been and is hanging on by a thread, a thread held up by the so-called elites who then patronised the football community with their hollow claims of supporting the football pyramid as Joel Glazer did in his quote on that press release. And fans warned of this. We warned of this, United fans, a long time ago. We said the Glazers were a bad thing and the FA, the Premier League, UEFA, FIFA, the government, they stood aside. They declared them fit and proper um these greedy non-football fans who bought the club without investing a single dollar of their own and who have then milked it for everything it's worth even and let's not be around the bush even in a global pandemic taking dividends out while they spoke of the financial strife going on inside the club and that is that's the worst bit about this these clubs are exploiting The unique situation of a global pandemic to create a kingdom for themselves, to lay about in for money, power, and what I guess they think is of prestige. It's just greed all over. I mean, Joel Glazer, United's owner for 16 years now, who is very rarely seen at Old Trafford, who has given just one interview in his time as owner, has now appointed himself alongside the also odious Florentino Perez, Agnelli and the rest. These people have anointed themselves as the voice of the football pyramid, declaring these founding clubs to be saviors of the rest. As Laurie Whitwell from The Athletic tweeted yesterday, it is a nauseating money grab marketed as a love for football, these owners being the ones who have taken, taken and taken out of a club, but who talk of the chance for world-class facilities with the new Super League, but haven't renovated Old Trafford in their 16 years in charge. Owners who have constantly hid themselves away from scrutiny and consequence, who cannot even be bothered to engage in football as a fair sport, to win by planning, investing and playing well, and so simply want money handed to them in vast quantities every year just for being them it's uh, the cheek of it is so it's heartbreaking and depressing and as fans it's so sad and shameful it's impossible to know what to do or say these are the clubs that we love so what can we do why have we been left to see the clubs we love take part in this and of course as football always does You can link it to wider societal problems, this feeling of inevitability that the rich can do what they want, lie about it, avoid the consequences and then parade themselves as these great moral crusaders while they destroy the fabric of the institutions that they rule over. And we want football to change, but for the better. And and I think as football fans, particularly in England, we don't know who to look to to make that happen. We don't know how to stop these people that we oppose. And I mean, we haven't even touched on the ridiculousness of it all yet. For the six English teams involved are currently 5th, 6th, 7th and ninth in the Premier League. Wigan have won a major trophy more recently than Tottenham and Ipswich, Everton, Derby, Forest, Villa, uh, Leicester, Leeds, Blackburn, they've all won the Premier League or the top flight more recently than Spurs. And it's an old argument, but Villa and Forest have more European Cups than Arsenal, Spurs and Atletico Madrid. Who is to say who the big clubs are? It changes from year to year or decade to decade at least. If this tournament had been created in 2000, Tottenham and Manchester City wouldn't be anywhere near it. If this tournament was created in 10 years' time, Arsenal wouldn't be anywhere near it. And there's more I mean the casual throw-in of supporting the women's game to try and get some brownie points the cheek of that as well as Susie Rack brilliantly wrote on Twitter these supposed pioneers of the women's game as they're parading themselves to be Joel Glazer whose family's arrival at United saw the club's women's team scrapped and then took until 2018 to revive it Florentino Perez of Real Madrid who have had a women's side for just one year Agnelli of Juventus they've had a women's team for just four years Liverpool whose team were relegated from the women's Super League who train in terrible conditions without any proper funding and the same could be said to a certain extent for Spurs as well it's as if they want to restart the women's game which is florist without their assistance in fact sometimes with their opposition restart it for the benefit of themselves to make sure that these founding clubs are big in both men and women's football rather than little leon seven times winners of the women's champions league who would i guess be excluded from this And United, I mean this is a club who, inspired by Matt Busby, went into Europe against the wishes of the Football Association, a club for whom eight players died in the Munich snow, whose recovery from that tragedy is what makes a club what it is today, fighting fairly to come back, to complete the legacy of the Busby Babes and to finally achieve European glory on that magical night at Wembley in 1968, having spent 10 years tirelessly striving to be the best without cheating without ensuring their financial dominance over the rest of the game's players. And think of Sir Alex Ferguson too, who made his name beating Real Madrid with Aberdeen in the European Cup Winners' Cup. That would not happen in this new format and Ferguson would never come to United. And then the closed shop nature of it all, which infuriates fans so much and the centralising of power in the hands of people who will only use that power to further benefit themselves without considering the fans who make these clubs what they are. and To do it when fans can't go to games and voice their anger and to then share the same statement, burying it late on a Sunday night. The cowardice. United didn't even tweet the article. They're hiding. There's no pride or excitement because the only excited people about this are the owners who are sat in their mansions. Not the people who work for United or Liverpool or Arsenal. These people won't want this either. They're football fans too. I mean, they have shat on everything that makes football brilliant, its unique ability to transcend economic, political and social boundaries and be a level playing field. And of course it hasn't been a level playing field for a long time, not for decades and decades, but this in particular is the greatest example of of misunderstanding and pure greed for decades too. And hopefully this is a watershed moment where we say, no, fuck off.
0: Harry, I feel like um I'm... I'm living in. I was going to say a dream, but not a dream. A nightmare, a, a film. It's just yeah. it. It doesn't feel real, to be honest. Not only that this has happened, you know. I think the the concept of a Super League has obviously been mooted for a while. It's been something that has always been there, sort of hanging over European football for the last decade or so. But I think what feels so surreal about the entire thing is one, the scale of the reaction and how quickly that reaction has come from UEFA, from the Premier League, from the media to the timing of it. You know, there are by all accounts, some very, very smart people behind this, you know, JP Morgan are supposedly bankrolling the entire thing to the tune of four or $5 billion. Yeah. Which, which in itself is 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 quite ridiculous, as they're are there and their competitors' power gets uh, just ever ever more present in our in our lives. But for all of the the people behind this, surely, surely one person must have thought, is this the best time to be putting this out? You know, this could have come out five years ago in in the middle of you know a beautiful sunny day, and it would still be terrible. <laughs> yeah. but. The, the, the timing of this, it, it could not be any worse. But I think the, the, the biggest thing for me is the absolute entitlement of the owners involved in this. And, and I say that not just as a Man United fan, but also as, as just a human being. Like There, there is no place yeah. in, in life where, where anything like this, where a self-appointed group who based on achievements that aren't even being backed up at the moment in the vast majority of the cases of these clubs have on their own decided that they are the ones entitled to this, to this pedestal that they've put themselves on effectively and all the riches that will come with it. Yeah. I I think I'm, I'm, I'm partly at a loss for words and, and partly, can't find enough of the th- the things that off of my chest that I feel about it. it. does
1: feel like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Because I, I yeah. I mean, that, that's why I kind of sat there. I sat there last night, typing my, my rant that I've just said out and thought I could go on for, for hours. And there's just more and more, there's so much to say about it that it's impossible to get it all out in kind of a, a, a comprehensible way.
0: Yeah. I think, I, I think the, the biggest thing for me is is that entitlement. You know, the it's so difficult to actually get your head around just how up your own arse you have to be to to do this. Know, you know, yeah. like and the money behind it, sure, it, is there. But at a certain point, is there is there no level of looking at yourself in the mirror and thinking, can we do this? Yeah. clearly there is because the likes of Bayern Munich, PSG, Borussia Dortmund and a host of other Bundesliga clubs today have, have, you know, uh, spurned this opportunity and and said that they they want no part of it and huge respect to them for that. You just wonder, these owners have had almost everything their own way for the last 15, 20 years. Football, you know, it's not as if we're talking about Owners that are only able to take minority stakes in clubs, where they're having to deal with, you know, fan clubs and unions all the time to get everything through, and and these are still clubs owned majority by fans, by the people that actually pay the money every week to show up and watch them. These owners, few, few
1: other industries have owners who have such free. There is fewer free markets than yeah. football,
0: right? And we're not. This wouldn't make it. Right, but you could maybe understand the decision somewhat from from owners if they were hamstrung and unable to make any changes at a football club because they weren't given the power or the opportunity to do it. But that is absolutely not the case. In the last two decades, football has become a sport that is so, so dominated by owners. And everything in the way that football is funded with the TV deals, in the way that football has become so much less about fans everything is already skewed so much towards owners, towards the commercialization of football. And now not only are you taking that to another level, but you're also doing it in a way that completely takes away any opportunity for other clubs.
1: Yeah, I think that's the problem is, is I think football clubs and big clubs and small clubs, but in this case, the big clubs have arguments to make against how football is run.
0: 100%.
1: UEFA has, UEFA has fucked things over for decades and we don't even need to get onto FIFA at the moment. Um, the horrendously corrupt uh, corporation organization who have, whose, whose good bits have been massively outweighed by, by the negatives. But it, this is just not the way to do it. And it, it seems like stating the obvious, but I do want to point out that I, I don't think the Champions League is this kind of untouchable phenomenon that should never be looked at being reformed. I don't think the Premier League is is that either. I think too often in football, we've kind of stuck with tradition when it perhaps would have been better to look at how we could have reformed things for better. But that's that's not what this is at all. And so it is. Between- and, and listen,
0: I think if you, if you'd have asked the, the fans of those six English clubs, or even of just Man United point blank question, do you wish that your team played the other, you know, these nine clubs from, or sorry, these, these six other clubs from Spain and Italy more often. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I do. Yeah. You know, we maybe play Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, maybe once a decade. Yeah. Of course, I want to see that more often. I'm a football fan. These are the games that I wake up in the morning and I can't do anything <laughs> yeah. for the entire day because I, I'm just thinking about the game. You know, this is what we live for as fans. I don't begrudge anyone for wanting that more often.
1: Yeah, it's the pulling up the, of the ladder. The problem,
0: though, is that I have right exactly, and I have no faith that that was actually why that this why this is done. Oh, and I want to know all, yeah. that my team is in that is in that position. Because they've earned it. Because yeah. they deserve to be there. This isn't it. but And also, that we can reform the Champions League. And and in UEFA's defence, for all of their faults, they have shown in the past that they're willing to reform their competitions. The Europa League was only changed a couple of years ago, away from the, F, the UEFA Cup. They obviously made the winners now get into the Champions League. The Champions League itself is not a particularly old competition either. And the yeah. format has constantly been evolving. There are ways that you can do this without this this money grab
1: yeah i actually agree that I I, <laughs> I I don't mind things as they are and in fact i think football's becoming oversaturated with what are meant to be great games and often aren't because there are just too many of them to make them great games but i i <laughs> naturally football at some point was always going to see the big clubs the mega clubs play each other more often because that's entertainment and it has become an entertainment business but it is the the pulling up of the ladder, and uh, the comparisons to the Premier League. Yes, maybe the ideals behind it in terms of profit and, and greed are the same, but the ideals aren't behind it in terms of competition and 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 yeah. justness. And I mean, there was a, a thing earlier from uh, there was a, a source from United that I can't remember who who spread this, but it it was a reliable um, source using Matt Busby as a comparison. His defiance in going into Europe and I mean just wow the, the lack of understanding of the history of football and I can come back onto that in a second but this is Matt Busby who said in 1970 we must prevent a football club ever being run like a supermarket with profit the only real motive I hope we shall never sacrifice our sporting principles on the altar of big business that's what's do, been done sacrificing sporting principles for big business for JP Morgan why can, the fuck should J.P. Morgan get any say in the running of football?
0: Just have some self-awareness and, and have some awareness of what the history of the football club that you work for is. So You could not get a worse person's name to invoke uh, in favour of this as Sir Matt Busby. Sir so Matt Busby wanted to go into Europe yeah. because we had earned it. We were the best team in the country and we deserved to be yeah, in Europe. And, that was what it is. And he wanted the players to be able to have that new challenge.
1: Yeah. Exactly, and and that quote I just read was tweeted by uh, Barney Chilton from Red News, and and someone replied uh, an account called Toe in the Water. But I thought I'd read this tweet out because it's, it's spot on. Busby was opening up the football world in the 1950s, where where so teams and fans from different cultures could meet. Today's throbbers are climbing into a gilded cage and hauling up the ladder so no one else can join, and it's exactly right. The comparison is a k- utterly ridiculous one, but also in terms of the history. What I, one of the big reasons I'm so angry about it is because football as a game is, what, you can range anywhere from 120 to 140 years old. Over that 140 years, hundreds and hundreds of football clubs from hundreds of cities, from uh, tens of countries, perhaps hundreds, have contributed to the history of the sport and contributed to making it globally the most successful I guess you can say the most popular sport is probably the greatest cultural phenomenon of the modern world nothing crosses boundaries like football does the idea that just these 12 clubs should reap the rewards of 140 years of a sport should take all the reward is just yeah the lack of self-awareness the lack of knowledge of 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 the history of the sport, which they've bought themselves into. And I, but I mean, there's, there's so much more to say. I mean, like, I, what yeah. I would say is, is separate. It's so hard, but you, you've got to separate the clubs from the owners because these are our football clubs. Um, and I guess, uh, yeah, the anger should be directed at owners, not the clubs, but it, it does bring into focus everything in the last 30 years. And we, we cannot forget what has led to this to, uh, the Premier League, where major clubs agreed to break away, to to build a mechanism for ever greater profit and commercialization, the severing of ties with the community, the rise in ticket prices, the, the change from yep. us being fans to us being just pure customers. And to be fair, we, we also can't forget, and I think this is my most important point, how the Premier League and the FA and the government opened their arms to sports-washing nation-states unsuccessful businessmen who sought only to leech off the emotional attachments that we hold as fans to our clubs. And this is what James Montague, who who is always brilliant, but also his book, The Billionaires Club has been saying recently football has been allowed to grow into like this host for billionaires, emperors, sheikhs, oligarchs, a plaything for the super, super rich, uh, an exercise in soft power. And it's all the result of this intensely free market where only tradition, and this is a problem, only tradition, not regulation has held things back where governments across the world never get involved because it's only a game. And, And it's not, this is communities. This is, people's livelihoods this is as I said a great cultural phenomenon and people have let these people in and now they've wrestled control away from where it should be the
0: the idea that this is you know just a a game and a product that's will just be changed and modified, and that's it and that that's what we should accept is I mean it's just completely antithetical to to every single thing that English football stands for you know, if you watch, there's a reason why any documentary about any football club from any period, where does it always start? It doesn't start with the club, with the manager, the owner, or the executive director. No, it starts with the people in the town, in the community, because that is yeah. what football clubs are about. And I know that they haven't... To be honest, football hasn't been about that probably for the last 30 years if we're being honest yeah. but they have retained i think the the underlying heart and soul of being clubs and organizations rooted in their community and although yeah. especially for the top clubs it has it's become something of a of a pr machine and it's it's become yeah. less of a less true i think for the top clubs than any others they have still retained i think a, to a large degree, at that least the shred that they of that are, has been. There. Yes, exactly, exactly. This, this is completely against it, and and don't as well discount the fact that actually what people love about football, and especially when football first became you know the sport in Britain, really after World War Two, yeah, it, it wasn't just about watching your team. It it was about those rivalries with other towns, with other communities. Yeah. This was your representation effectively these were the represented the representatives of of where you live and you followed them around the country as they went and tested themselves against other communities and that was effectively the role that footballs played again i know that the internationalization of the game has taken it away from that but this is it's something else and it i mean it, it's been it's felt a little contradictory to see the likes of uefa and the premier league and and sky yeah. sports you know all over how terrible this is when effectively their worry is the money is just simply being directed from them to someone else. You know, they are exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They are as much at fault in this as anyone else because they are, they have played a huge role in sort of getting us to the point where this is even possible. But there is, I think very rarely been in any sport that I can think of actually a, a small group of people, you know, in these 12 owners, Taking the sport completely out of the hands of of everyone who loves it, and I don't think I've ever seen football in any way unite like this. I, I haven't <laughs> seen one person in support uh, of this yeah. idea, I, and it, that in a, that alone is is quite incredible.
1: It is incredible, and it does feel surreal. Um, to move the conversation on slightly from our opposition from it and from our acceptance that everyone involved is is terrible. Um, I think well I mean this is kind of goes along the same point Um, but kind of the, more logistics but what I was thinking is the, the Premier League clubs don't need this the Premier League clubs are yeah. in great situations United City Liverpool are all fine I guess Arsenal and Spurs stand to benefit more from it but United are in debt yes but kind of out of our own choosing and not urgent debt this is this is necessary for Real Madrid and Barcelona, who are seriously in debt for Juventus, who need more. But it, for me, what's so disappointing is United don't need this. It's, uh, we, we've been drawn in by this Florentino Perez master plan. We've gone all wide eyed at the chance of some extra money. And that's why, that's why I feel absolutely fine saying, I've got no hesitation in saying that this is just driven by greed because a lot of the time it's, it's easy to throw that word around without kind of being able to know for sure. But United don't need this. It's just kind of seeing the money and, and running for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, if there's any club that has shown that you don't need these huge games, that you yes, don't need yeah. to be one of the best teams in the world... To to maintain a good financial yeah. footing, it's Manchester United in the last decade. You know, we we don't need this. We simply do not need the extra money. The owners are not only making a profit for, for profit from Man United, but using it as as a collateral in the loans that they're taking out. If it's it's just another asset to them, it, it's done everything yeah. that they could have they could have asked for they've they've housed debts in united they've used it to then clear the debts by using it as collateral and loans They yeah th- what more could you ask for to get out of this uh, it does i guess maybe we should move the conversation as well towards what do we yeah, think yeah. happens from here because there's obviously been there's been so much talk And a lot of it fake. And and last night was a (laughs) really difficult time to decipher what was actually going on with this. But there's been so much talk from UEFA, from the Premier League, from the other domestic leagues that, you know, teams could be thrown out of Europe this week, that teams could be titles could be stripped, points deducted, huge fines, whatever. But I mean, coming on from from here, where where do you see this going?
1: Uh, It's the important point now. Um, I, in an ideal world if, uh, I'm more going to focus on what I'd like to see the response be and in an ideal world I'd like to see just from a UK point of view the government step in the creation of an independent football regulator to oversee regulation on the FA on the Premier League the EFL which has been needed for so long and people have been calling this for a long time and then the imposition of the 50 plus one rule as in Germany which I think would have prevented this from happening in the way it has done that's not to say it would prevent a European Super League being created and that's not even to say the creation of a European Super League is, is undoubtedly a bad thing because if it was done it, a renewal of the Champions League a new version of the Champions League as we said wouldn't, isn't fundamentally a bad thing but I think, yeah, so that in an ideal world, I'd like to see government intervention in 50 plus one. In terms of what I expect to happen is I can't see that because I have no trust in the British government anyway. But I, it feels like everything will be fought in court cases between UEFA, uh, the Premier League, the Super League, etc. To me, it's, it, I, I'd love to see, you need UEFA and FIFA to be to come down hard line on it and say you're out of this competition. You need the Premier League especially to say you're out of this competition, but they can't do that because the big six run the Premier League already. Um, And you need FIFA especially to say you can't come and play in the World Cup. But it looks, it seems to me like FIFA, for FIFA to get rid of UEFA, who are always nagging them anyway, and to get in with the new big boys, seems like... an easy thing for them to do and something I wouldn't be surprised to see them do. And that's why I I have so little faith that the solution to this, and I don't think what, I don't think the super league will just happen, but I can't see the solution being a good one for any of us.
0: Yeah. So I I was very, very intrigued by this waking up this morning and just, you know, sitting there and wondering what, what the future might hold. And I, I put a poll out on my Twitter account, asking people what would happen. If, if the super league will happen say four or five years from now and it, it was pretty split about fifty five percent of people said it's fifty fifty and then twenty two each said um definitely happening and not and not a chance and to be honest I think that's probably about right in terms of what we can expect from here because there there are just so many unknowns I think that the biggest the biggest thing that could happen to stop this from going forward you're right is the the really, really strict clampdown from UEFA, from the domestic leagues. Because at the end of the day, despite the fact that the owners are the ones that are, are running this and they're pushing it and they are ultimately so powerful in these clubs, there's only so much they can do if they stop being able to attract players. You know, I mean, if you're a player at Manchester United right now who is being told that in two years' time you're going to play... 20 games a season in this super league have no premier league games, no fa cup games. You're not going to be able to play in the euros for your country. What why why would you want to stay? Why wouldn't you go and play for for Bayern Munich or PSG yeah. or Leipzig? You know that that I think is is the one area of leverage that UEFA that the FA, the Premier League, La Liga and Serie A really do have in that they they if they are able to to ban players and ban teams from their competitions that is the leverage that they have Absolutely, to make something yeah. happen. I think you're also very right in that, that FIFA is the one to worry about because they have obviously the, the, the far less integration into the European football than either UEFA or any of the yeah. domestic leagues have. You know, The Premier League is not reliant on UEFA and UEFA isn't reliant on the Premier League, but they work very much hand in hand. FIFA is almost com- completely separate to that. FIFA doesn't care what happens in the Premier League. They don't care what happens in the in the Champions League. And based on as as you were pointing out the the past uh, not warm relationship, let's say between FIFA and UEFA, they may see this as an opportunity to suddenly restructure the game with everything under FIFA's banner. And I think the World Cup, you know, that is despite the the, the Super League, the Champions League, whatever, the World Cup is still the, the yeah, pinnacle of the sport for any player. And to be honest with you, as much as I, don't, as I hope that this wouldn't be the case, players might say they're willing to forego playing at the Euros if they can still play at the World Cup or even forgo playing in domestic leagues. I'm not, I'm not so sure about domestic leagues, but I think if you said to a player you'd have to forego playing in the Euros, they might do that if they could still play in the World Cup. Yeah.
1: you saying that's just making me think of um, rugby, where England for a long time held the rule that players who played in foreign leagues abroad most often France couldn't then play for the England national team so obviously did forego their chance to play in a World Cup and it's an interesting I guess a comparison I've only just thought of but it's an interesting case study and I'm I'm sure there's examples in in all sports like that with with clubs and, and countries and wherever.
0: Um, and, and I mean it, it broadly worked in rugby as well it was very controversial but you know Toulon at, at the time were offering bucket loads of money to, to English players to go and play there as they were trying to build their sort of super team and, and only two and Stefan Armitage and Chris Ashton actually went yeah, yeah. you know the vast majority of English players stayed in England to, to be able to play international rugby it's slightly different international rugby is a much bigger part of the landscape yeah. of that sport than yeah. football but it is a it's a good parallel to to draw I
1: yeah. think. I mean, it's it's it just is <laughs> sad, isn't it? Um, it's just really miserable. It really is. And that's it's, it's such a shame.
0: I also think it it almost without meaning to, you know, get into too uh sort of existential uh, discussion here, it also probably for the first time ever makes you think about the fact that life 10 15 years from now might not involve football as a big part of our Uh, lives
1: yeah I think that's that's been a real big part of this is is for fans of of clubs who not in this big six in England at least will be looking around and will be furious uh, and sad as well but it's a slightly different because we we kind of hate it anyway the the big clubs in England and rightly so because we boss other people about for our own greed I shouldn't say our. I should say our owners. Um, but I think for, for fans of United, Liverpool, City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, there is that kind of, the, the last day, because uh, we're United fans, a lot of my friends are Arsenal fans. I uh, know Liverpool and City fans. And it's just, it's the same feeling all round of, what, right? Like, what do we do? What, what do you say? And what, and what do you feel? And, and there is that very real reality of this whole day. I've kind of sat here thinking, what, what happens if I can't slash don't support Manchester United anymore? And it is, it is, it's an yeah. existential crisis for football fans. Our identities,
0: you, I just always, even if you don't consciously think about it, you, you've always just assumed that football and yeah, Man United a, will be there
1: in your life. And, and I, I don't think it's overstating to say people's identities are very much tied up with their football teams the music you listen to 100%. the 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 culture you're interested in the kind of people you meet all plays a part in that from the age of kind of 3 or 4 and it normally right up until the day you die but in this case and and I mean it, it it comes back to the examples of of kind of Bury and Wigan and Macclesfield, where these clubs have had to endure that as well. And that is the sadness of what's going on in football right now. And that's why I think it, I I'd love to be able to trust in a government to get involved and regulate the football market for the better. But I don't think the government in charge now are intelligent or creative enough to do that. Um, I, I, we, we need to wrap up and, and we won't have time to
0: well, it's, it's also because politics is, is has gone through much the same transformation yeah. that football yeah. has over the last 20 or 30 years in that Vested the very interests. same people exactly the very same people bankrolling this European Super League are the very same people bankrolling every single political campaign <laughs> across yeah. the world you know it, not it's only, not that, as if this has come PR out of nowhere company. these interests have their hands in in everything
1: yeah yeah.
0: How much can Boris Johnson really say? He makes one statement, the PR firm behind the European yeah. Super League is the same one that Boris Johnson used when he ran for London mayor. Boris Johnson they, makes one statement against this and suddenly they're, they're they're pulling all support for his future campaigns. He can't win another election again. You know the the, in, the interest here and the incentives at play for everyone involved are so perverse. And yeah. this is exactly why the the commercialization of football was it was arguably too far already but again it managed to retain sort of that veneer of of normalcy i guess and of being somewhat a yeah. down to earth sport and now it's just it's just ridiculous and these vested interests have so much sway in not just in football but everywhere
1: yeah and we we're, we're going to have to, we'll, we'll obviously be coming back to this the next time we record but it does uh, it it does just beg the question what I, I, our supporters of these clubs, like ourselves, is this kind of, is this the beginning of the end, or is this a reconcilable difference? And yeah. I mean, we're a day into this, yeah. so we, we don't know yet. But it's it, it's and yeah.
0: and if this the other thing that goes through my head is, uh, I don't want to believe in my head that fans are truly expendable. I know I know they are to some degree, in that. You know, clubs can still make money without the fans, and they're going to make decisions based on what the owners need. But let's say, hypothetically, five years down the line, Man United's uh, European Super League campaign starts off against Real Madrid, and there's two thousand people inside Old Trafford. Like, is that is that really okay? You, you know, I, I know it's not okay, but like to the owners, is, is that really what they want as well? Like, is as long as the TV money's coming in, is is that fine? Or like, yeah, those optics surely at at some point must have some sway. Well, the truth uh, I, I is, I don't is know if, if I'm
1: if they don't I'd get the fans optimistic. in here, which is a possibility, then you just take it to America, you take it to Asia, you take it to somewhere oh, where, yeah, and then true. suddenly that's, that's why it's called the Super League, not the European Super League. Yeah, Because that's true. it can be lifted and transported and taken to another planet, almost literally, depending on how Elon Musk does with his rockets. Um, I, we we need to wrap up and I'll, we'll go to a youth load and women's round We haven't got time to <laughs> discuss the games because um, we, we have things to do. But t- to conclude,
0: Mason Greenwood's good again. That's basically oh yeah, Greenwood's not good. Again, he was Cavani's never bad. He's and he's great. And that's yeah,
1: it. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Um, if anyone's interested, I did a I did a patron bonus episode after the Burnley game from Old Trafford where I did speak about the game. So if you really want to hear. I'll make that free to listen to so that people can go and listen to that. Um, But to to conclude, a report from Mike Keegan from the Daily Mail saying, Edward was held an emergency briefing with United players at Carrington this morning and a source says some of the players were seriously unimpressed about the Super League and the club's central role in it and that the players made their feelings known to him via a Zoom meeting this morning. The reception among the squads was lukewarm at best. And Woodward told the squad they were acting in the club's best interest. But not only are they angry that they were left to find out by the media about what happened, but that their manager was left to face the press when the owners had concocted this. And they are spot on. And I hope that their anger turns into something even greater and they uh, fight back against the club's owners. Um, Right, we're going to go to youth loan and women's roundup and then we will say goodbye, bid you farewell. United's under-23s were beaten 3-0 by City at the weekend. Not much to say about it, really. United just coming up against a a better, more experienced, and more consistent City team. A a poor performance, really, and uh, a lot to learn from it. And I, I mean an optimist would say academy football is all about player development and learning from these experiences and they'd be right but this wasn't a, a great one Anthony Lang was alright his final ball and final shot was off a couple of times but in terms of creating chances and, and keeping going and trying to provoke the City defence throughout he was probably United's best player the under-18s um, also endured a difficult weekend losing 3-2 to Newcastle a debut for Kingdon in defence goals came from Zidane Ballenden, and Dylan Hoogwerf. Uh, both of United's goals were actually late on and that made it 2-2 but then Huntley scored in the last minute for Newcastle to condemn the under-18s to defeat which is disappointing um, a couple of other disappointing bits um, as well in low news James Garner made a mistake for Nottingham Forest to interrupt his otherwise excellent form manager Chris Hewton, um said afterwards I mean Garner played 90 minutes for Forest they, they lost 2-0 to Huddersfield and he played a misplaced pass that, that led to one of the goals and Chris Hewton Said of it, um, I think he's disappointed. That's James with the hole that opened up. I think he needed a little bit of help from the other players in the team. He's a young player and young players feel that disappointment a little bit more. What I can tell you, if you're assessing the goal is when you're in that position, you need people to help you out a bit. And he didn't get that support that he needed. Uh, so uh, great from Houghton to take the pressure off Garner and, and, and some nice supportive words. It, it wasn't a catastrophic effort. And as Houghton said, um, he he needed support from his teammates. Uh elsewhere Jesse Lingard scored another goal. Of course, a penalty for West Ham this time, but they like Uniteds under 18s were beaten 3-2 by Newcastle United. Ethan Led actually had a very good performance for MK Dons a 1-0 win against Portsmouth. Good win for them as well actually. Uh Led won the penalty for the MK Dons goal and was playing at right wing back is just uh, he, he gets forward so much and enjoys it there knowing that he he's got some defensive support behind him. Um in terms of how his development's going, he he's shown what he's always shown which is great attacking quality. I think what United will be looking to do next season is send him out on loan to a uh probably championship if they'd be lucky to f- I, I don't know but pop- I think they'd be lucky to find a Premier League club to take a player who's just been on loan in League 1, but it, it's possible but you kind of want him starting in the championship and getting to play 46 games where, uh, he learns more defensive sides to his game. Uh, so playing in a four at the back as a natural right back rather than a right wing back would, um, would help Ethan Laird. So we'll we'll keep following that. For the women's team, a good win for United uh, in the FA Cup. The first FA Cup game of the season, 6-0 against Burnley. It could have been more actually, but uh, they hit the bar quite a few times. First half goals from both Millie Turner and Amy Turner, as well as Ella Toon and Lucy Staniforth, and then a second half double from Kirsty Hanson. So a good win for United, who will now uh, return to focus on the league where they need a bit of a miracle to finish in the top three. Right, Jack will be, I mean, Leeds is coming up, but it just, <laughs> A, we haven't got time to talk about it, and B, it just feels weird. So strange. Um, so we're not going to talk about that. As we said before, Mason Greenwood is good. Cavani's good. Um, and hopefully both of them come out and say a big fuck you to the European Super League and then go and score hat-tricks against Leeds. I mean,
0: <laughs> I, was, I was just about to say it would be nice to, I have a game to watch to distract from it but I'm not <laughs> sure I, it will. Football, as a what is normally a distraction, is now the thing causing the problems in the first place. I mean, it also it's, it's the first week
1: we haven't got a game in the middle. I know of it. Yeah. the
0: first time all season, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that was another thing I wanted to talk about today, but not enough time because our Super League overlords have distracted us.
0: <laughs> I mean. A good game. It it should be fun against Leeds. It's it's been fun watching United recently. To be fair, it really has. the Last few games has, in particular yeah. have been enjoyable for the most part, which is uh, a really nice feeling actually. So yeah, think you know, fingers crossed that will continue. It's just going to be a bizarre week, I think. And the next the next few games, I think, are going to they're going to be probably quite difficult to watch for a lot of fans.
1: Yeah, it will be very strange. Right, we'll wrap up there. Uh, for Jack's thoughts throughout the week, you can find him on Twitter at,
0: at UTDTATE T A I T.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P O D at the end there. Uh, we will see you next week. Who knows what will have happened by that time? Um, but have a good one. Try to stay positive if you can. Goodbye. Network.